Hey there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about diceless devices to help your D&D play. And joining us, we have uh, one of our best friends of the show, Mr. Matt Finch, who's the creator of some of our favorites like Swords and Wizardry and the Tome of Adventure design, the new fantasy adventure builder app that's now on Kickstarter. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. And thanks, Matt, for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show. Before we get into it, I will remind everyone that, as always, at the end of the show, we will be hosting our after-party chat. That is a live video chat with both Dan and I and special guest this time, Matt Finch, uh, live on our Discord server. If you'd like to join us in that after-party chat that happens at 2 p.m. Eastern today, um, you can by simply joining our Patreon. Just uh, check us out at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Join at any tier. You'll get an invite to the Discord server, and you can join in in the chat today. Yeah, that's one of our one of our favorite uh, favorite parts of our week here at Wandering DMs, and all the better that Matt is uh, so generous with his with his time uh, to join us today. So, Matt, we have really liked Paul and I have really enjoyed your Tome of Adventure design product for old school type RPGs that people can use for Fifth Edition D anD D, and we've used it live a number of times on the air for what we call our Dungeon Design Dashes, and we. Uh, released uh, one of those to our patrons uh, last month, and we're working on releasing the, the next one here in October. Um, so, how did you? And I think you're in the what you're in the. I think tomorrow's the last full day for your Kickstarter for the Fantasy Adventure Builder version of that. Is that right? Yeah, the, it's the last full day. I think it actually ends at like nine in the morning uh, my time on Tuesday. But you know, most people won't be up and around at that point. So. Uh, you know, we're right. We're right at the end. We're in the final stretch. So, and we have a link to Matt's Kickstarter for this uh, this new product here in the description on YouTube. So we'd encourage you d d don't don't wait, don't delay, because you only have one day left uh, to back Matt's Kickstarter for the Fantasy Adventure Builder. And of course, this is inspired by your Tome of Adventure design that we love so much. Um, and I mean, Tome of Adventure design has hundreds and hundreds of pages of tables that that we're accustomed to in D&D, &D, and you can roll your dice and roll your dice and roll your dice some more to generate ideas and, and concepts for fantasy adventures. So what motivated you to pivot, Matt, and make this transition into a, a software service for that? Well, it's not really a transition because the book is still, you know, going to be out there and going to be supported. Uh, I, I think that this, you know, that this app works um, psychologically, in terms of you know helping creativity, it um, it operates a little bit differently. Uh, for a long time, people have been um, you know building uh, you know tables that would automatically roll using Tome of Adventure Design because when you've got a uh, a table that may branch into a lot of subtables, that's a lot of page turning when you're using a book. And so what this does is it actually rolls several tables at once, goes all the way through the subtables, um, you know, and gives you the the results so that you see it all at once faster, you know, so it's like, you know, you've got the idea and then you get the return faster. 
on the downside with the app, um, you're not looking at all of the possible things that it might be rolling from. And we sort of tried to figure that out. But the, the issue with that is that when, when you're programming an app, you need to know exactly the parameters of what the table is going to roll. And there are different tables. There are some that have two columns. There are some that are very, very long. So actually showing the table is something that's fairly difficult within the box, uh, you know, box and size programming um, that you get. So um, you, I think you've really got two different approaches. And for most people, I imagine one is going to work better or using both of them at the same time. So it's not really a transition. Um, but it's definitely, um, you know, the, the advantage of a book is that it shows you all of the stuff and it shows you what's nearby if you just turn a page and look. But the advantage of, a, of using an app is that it does all of that page flipping and turning and looking up what's the next table. It does it for you. Um, so I, I think I mean, my, my first instinct is that the, the, the app is a little bit better for if you've got absolutely nothing and you're like, give me some sort of idea. Um, the app tends to be a little bit better than just opening to a random page of the book and finding a table. On the other hand, when you're really trying to get down to the nitty gritty details of, I really want to toggle this just a little bit, the book's probably a little bit better than the app. And so there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both approaches. It's interesting as we as we dig into like the larger story of diceless devices today, as I, as I was prepping this weekend, I was thinking it is funny how there's always pros and cons to all these like, like really interesting pros and cons to all these different mechanisms for randomization elements, um, if you think about it. So it's 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 interesting that that's that's on your mind. Paul, are we are we oh, set it, up it, to it actually it was, like, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a surprise right? to me when I when I discovered that it actually kind of felt different. Yeah, that was not something yeah, I actually right. expected. Okay. Now let okay. me break in for a second because we may have a bunch of people yeah. who came here since we sent out our, our newsletter, uh, you know, thing. So there may be some people who are here for the first time and are not familiar, you know, with y'all's show. And so let me just to, to those people, let me do a real quick commercial on your behalf about this show. One of the things that I love about Dan and Paul is that you, when you, you, you start playing for a while and sort of the, the, the gloss and the shine comes off the game a little bit. And Dan and Paul are always just as excited as if they had just bought the book at the local Toys R Us, you know, three hours ago. And they're always, they're always like, look at this cool new thing. And it's always, they're always at that, you know, just found it level of excitement. And so, it, you know, this is one of the shows that I really love for, for building up energy. And, you know, if you ever feel like, oh, I'm kind of burned out as a, as a DM or whatever it might be, this this is probably your show because these guys are not ever, ever jaded about the gaming. They always bring to it the same, you know, just found it level of excitement. So I, I really do recommend it and joining their Patreon as well because you get extra stuff with it. So, you know, uh, you know, every every YouTube channel has its, you know, strong points and weak points. And, and this one, you know, this is this is the strong point. If you ever feel like you're, you know, getting tired of gaming, these are your guys. So, okay, so I'm done with my commercial. Now we can talk more about the fantasy adventure. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, we, I could not, that's that's incredibly flattering, Matt. Thank you for saying that. And, and any new v viewers, of course, welcome to the channel. We're so glad that uh, that Matt could rope you in. Uh, that's that's that high praise indeed, high praise indeed. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very strong, it's a very strong, you know, viewer community too. The, 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 the folks that are, the, you know, the back to Patreon and so on, you know, are a very tight knit group, a lot of cross talk. Um, so, you know, if that's the kind of thing that, that you're looking for and what to subscribe to a channel or, or what to, you know, throw some cash to on a Patreon, this is, this is a good one. So. 
Okay, now, now, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm really done now. So, okay. I, th I think Paul's muted at the moment, which makes sense because he might be Arnie. laughing like a hyena right now. Arnie. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we, but um, but uh, we 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 our view our viewers are so smart and they're so welcoming and we we love to see you know new people on our Discord every week and things like that. Yeah. If anything, I would say that our enthusiasm is simply a reflection of our audience's enthusiasm. There's a lot of great chatter on our Discord. Uh, a lot of our best show topics honestly just come out of that. People talk about interesting stuff on that Discord server. And we go, that's a show. We jump in on it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a great little community that we've uh, we've got here. We're so, we're so fortunate. Paul, yeah. are we are we so, set up to run a demo of Fantasy Adventure Builder today? Oh my gosh! Um, if you give me two minutes, I can try to make that happen. <laughs> this is in which I in which I challenge Paul for a technical. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a real two minutes topic. the show, man. <laughs> It's not, it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, we do have tutorials out there, you know, so people can see it, you know, being, being run and, and so on. So Paul, no, no pressure on, on doing that. I think people have got, you know, a good basic idea. And then, you know, once it gets out there in the wild and people start using it, I think, you know, um, the, uh, uh, you know, this Kickstarter came in lower than what we were expecting. You know, our, our last couple of Kickstarters have been, uh, you know, up in the, the six figures and this one's going to come in lower, which I suspect, um, is two things. One, I think people are much cagier about getting software through Kickstarter than they are a book. Um, and I also think that the, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are just waiting to see, see, you know, what does this actually look like? What are people telling me, you know, about it? So, um, but I, I think we're going to have a really interesting effect from this, which is that um, when you're using it, you can make your own tables and then you can post those up to Steam Workshop. Um, for this thing and so uh i am expecting that a lot of people are probably going to create uh tables for it and we might very well see you know that in that within a couple of months that there's actually more tables created for the table designer app than were even there from tome of adventure design we sort of seeded it with the tome of adventure design tables um but we are uh you know expecting that there's there's going to be quite a lot of, of free uh, table content that's created by fans. So, um, you know, I, I think what we're going to see in, in this one is more of a build after the Kickstarter than you normally see with a book. Because when you get a book, there's not a whole lot of sharing, you know, that you can do with the book. You run it, you know, you run an adventure for your players. Um, you know, you use some tables, maybe you create an adventure and so on. But, you know, here people can actually contribute to the, uh, the underlying additional usefulness of the product itself and it'll continue to grow so um you know we're, we're watching that with some curiosity to see what all goes this is our first ever uh you know dipping the toe into the uh, the software sort of market that's nice you know on the on the topic of of community around your around your products uh i i noticed uh you know running the demo myself i thought it was a great idea to have the custom table builder that you could customize your own tables. And I had not thought about actually publicizing them, releasing them to the larger community. That is, that, that's really nice. I totally, agree. I bet there'll be more stuff very quickly than your so. already thousand page Tome of Adventure design. <laughs> yeah, I can see that happen very quickly. Okay, once again, All see, right, Paul has I, a very high I, skill I, level. I, I, what do you know, Paul? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't able to get it there in the uh, bottom right, but uh, I can replace my own video. Hopefully, you can still hear my audio. Uh, we can. Yeah. Yep, we can. Okay, perfect. Okay, yep. so here it is. Here it is. Uh, what should, so what should we do? Through, let's <laughs> run. Yeah, what, Matt? What would what would you sh want to show off first? So the table designer, the button in the middle is what we were just talking about. You can customize your own tables. Of course, we'd pull that up and it would just be blank right now. What would you want to show off uh, first for folks, Matt? Well, I mean, let's let's take a look at the adventure builder. The thing with the table designer is that I, you know, when when we were doing it while we were still while they were still doing the coding for the table designer, I was putting the tables into um, a, uh, a, a not Outlook, a uh, a Google Docs, you know, Excel spreadsheet sort of thing. So I'm not actually very familiar with using the table designer because I we were going around, you know, in a loop to get that stuff. Uh, put in there, so I can't really walk us through the table designer with any skill. But we can take a look at the uh, at the adventure design. So the, there's an index over there on the left, and in that index, um, you know, there's various topics. And then on the extreme left of the name of a chapter, there's a little box, and you can click that to open up that chapter, and you'll see all of the various subtables that are in there. So that, like, you know. You don't have to create a monster and okay. uh, you know randomly rolling a construct when what you really want is a dragon. You can go through and you know and, and click to get to the dragon stuff. Um, so that's you know uh, one thing in there. And then um, uh, you know I guess the the starting points chapter is probably where um, you know that's the part of the book that most people are familiar with, partly because it's just the first section. Um, you know, so, you know, we could go to that and that's because that's where most people start with is the, the whole, I want to create an adventure. I've got nothing, you know, what do I do? And so there's the starting points thing. Um, but we can, we can follow along, uh, you know, through anything that you want to do, Paul, you want to just start clicking some buttons and then, yeah, yeah, let's, let's see what we get here. All right. So we have a location-based adventure type desolate foundry of the unholy demon. Sounds exciting. Uh, our each turn, our target is a jester with political influence. Uh, their motivation is gain knowledge about or on behalf of a temple official. And it looks like there's some scrolling here, so I'm going to scroll down and there, we have... There is, there is some scrolling. Some of, some of these things give you several tables, some of them give you fewer. Yep. What might be promised to the characters is to receive useful information. Forgive me for reading everything out loud, but of course, some people are listening to this in audio-only format. So yeah. uh, here we go. Uh, possible information source, letter or message is sent to characters. The villain's plan is subversion to the villain's purpose. The villain is trying to mislead people into supporting his nefarious enterprises. Uh, the villain subverts people to evil, encouraging charitable donations to a group that supports a foolish idea, such as a heavy tax on merchants' cargo, or on holy ships, rebellion from royal authority, or the expulsion of foreigners, as examples. And the villain's Great. lieutenant is um, a, a barbaric military leader with troops who is quite intelligent. The lieutenant is blind or deaf. This person or monster is in love with the villain. <laughs> great, great, great. So oh, I think that's you, a lot of there. So this color, yeah, go ahead. You, you can, so you can see that when you're using the, the app, it gives you a scatter gun of a lot of stuff all at once, which if you're using the book, you're doing this much more linearly. And that's why I think that, you know, uh, and, and it, you know, your, your results are likely to be less good. Now, one of the things that you're able to do, you know, you can re-roll any of those results. And in some of the tables, you can do partial re-rolls um, so that you can narrow it in closer and closer. Um, 
I, I think all of the ones that are on this particular one are not partial reroll things because they're single. It's a single result from a table. It's not one of those ones um, that's got a partial, 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 partial. Right. But um, when you do have one of those, you can narrow in on it. Um, and and so you know, I think that the what you do here is you you take this overall pattern that's given there. Um, and then if some part of it, like the, uh, you know, the jester, for example, if you don't like that as a patron, um, you know, you can reroll that and it'll give you a different result. Um, yeah, I can, so, I can see here as I mouse over it, definitely my cursor is changing, yeah. it's highlighting. So if we don't well, click want right, click, jester with click. political influence, click that. And now it is a collector of minerals. There you go. So that's that's sort of the way that you can work it. And then when you're done, when you're satisfied with what you've got or, or somewhat satisfied with what you got, you can click on the uh, keep button down there at the bottom. That reroll button will reroll every single table up there so that you don't have to go through and click, 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 click. Um, so that's just a universal reroll. Um, and when you click keep, it goes into your notebook. Um, because when you're here in the, uh, at this point in the app, before going to the notebook, you can't type anything. Once it's in the notebook, then you can go in and actually type changes to it. Um, hmm. And then ultimately, you're oh. probably going to export it to a text file, but that gives you an interim spot where you can write your own notes. Like, you know, this is a dumb idea, but I can't, you know, re-roll the thing. So fill this in, you know, or, you know, maybe this, you know, collector of minerals is, you know, collecting gold or whatever it might be. So that's that's something that you can do in the notebook. Um, and then you can finally export it to, um, I, th I think you can do it by text or you can, you can do it as a PDF, although, um, why anybody would necessarily do a PDF. I mean, I guess if you were absolutely done, but I don't think many people are gonna use the PDF at this point. But the thing is that the table designer tool <clears throat> takes HTML commands. So you can like make, you can make stuff bold, make stuff italic. Um, and so that uh, it, it may be that people get something to where they're gonna to wanna to export it in a PDF. It's, it's just another option to have. So, um, so there's, there's that. Uh, right. And diceless. I like that you so, always, you know, yep. I like that you've got the uh, the sidebar, the right sidebar of inspirations like you have, I think, all through the revised Tome Adventure Dime, just random little tidbits of thoughts. And you click on one of them and it gets added to the notebook in that point. Um, mm -hmm. so that just a whole a whole bunch of things to just kind of generate improvisational creativity. Uh, so I, I really I really like that reflection of what you have in the book at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we, we call that corner. We call it corner of the eye inspiration. With that, is that you know you can just sort of you know get stuff. Although you know different people use it differently. I mean, we were on Bill Sylvie's show, and he was like, "I love the inspirations." Like, click, 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 click. And he was like, "I'm going to take these ten inspirations into the notebook, and then I'm going to combine them into something." So everybody uses it different ways. I, I kind of. I've used it like an, an, an oracle of, you know, what comes next in the dungeon? Flip over to a random page, you know, finger on the random point. Okay, here's the thing that I'm going to use as the as the the prompt that gets me going on, on what comes next. So there's a lot of different uses for that. Nice. Let me ask you about it. So one thing that popped out to me is the dungeon map feature. So uh, there's, a, there's a feature that could give a, a, a high-level... Uh, what I'd call um, topological, not topographic, topological schematic for a map, not a graph paper map. Is that I don't is that in the Tome of Adventure design or is that brand new? It, it actually is, but the graphic here is. is a little bit different. 
different realm of adventure design is just empty circles and lines but this is a way of um, breaking a dungeon into chunks that are that have got only uh one or two connections going out which is a, a long ago theory of mine that the way that the best dungeons are organized is that and, and there's another there's another approach to this which people call jayquazing a dungeon based on janelle jayquaz's yep. um, sort of uh, maps but the idea is that um players like to feel when they're when they're doing a dungeon and specifically a dungeon adventure but even if it's not a dungeon adventure they you know there are a few things that are important one of them is the feeling of milestones we have completed an area we're now done with this area we have a sense of achievement um another thing to give them is uh, a little mystery to figure out which doesn't necessarily need to even lead anywhere but it's just oh this was an area you know where they were sacrificing frogs you know or whatever it is that you know little mysteries being solved um little areas being completed and then when you have um and i used to call them pinch points long ago on forums when we were talking but you know you you when you're overall exploring a dungeon you're like okay this is a discrete area and the reason we know it's an area is because there are only one or two connections leading out of it as opposed to the undifferentiated maze type of dungeon which i think is a little bit less satisfying for players mm -hmm. so in, in order to design one uh that had these sort of areas in it the way that the tome of adventure design and the fantasy adventure builder work is that they say okay so here are the areas here are the connections and then it rolls the fantasy adventure builder you know goes ahead and rolls this transition from one area to the other might be just a normal door um or it might be a you know a, 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 a lake of flaming fire with a balrog and 50 you know fire sturges up above it, it can go from being very mundane to very weird but it's still only one way through it's a, a a pinched off point in the map that creates these discrete areas and then for each one it also it just says um various um again topological descriptions you know this this area is basically a crossroad of corridors and there are rooms off the crossroads as opposed to this area is a single room that has rooms coming off the side or this is a single large room or it is a circular corridor that has uh rooms only on the inside or it's a circular corridor that has one room on the inside and so there's various possibilities for describing how that is and it rolls a random number of rooms and it says you know one of them is very large and so here's a table for the size of the large room the other one's very small uh not very small but the other ones you know are smaller and so it, you know it can roll different uh you know room sizes for those and so it, it basically gives you almost like a, a almost like a text description of this is what your map will look like it doesn't actually generate the map um, because that would have been two steps further up in terms of doing the coding to get it to actually follow those directions you know with a with a graphic creation tool but um but it, it you know the, the assumption is that you're sketching it out as you go anyway so that sort of gives you that way of approaching i think that that feels very much in flavor with giving ideas give it giving prompts for the hard parts of, of being creative as a, as a dm designing something like that and um and I'll also say you mentioned janelle jacques you know in um her um you know really great design sensibilities and we've had her on the show in the past last week we had justin alexander who has the alexandrian blog and he has mm -hmm. principles that seem very very familiar he's got this five five and five um rules towards dungeon design and i noticed that your schematics are pumping out like basically five areas different types of transitions or connections so i think those are I, that seems to be the rule of thumb for top level dm designers is what it seems like so that seems like a really solid theory to me 
Well, I think most of your designers probably do follow a, I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule, but they probably approach the thing the same way every time. Um, yeah. And I think in general, I'm using six areas to get the, the connections, but, you know, but then what you do is, you know, you sort of start out using your uh, standard operating procedure. And then when you get, oh, here's a really cool idea. And then you start following that really cool idea. And that's where you branch off from your, your standard operating procedure kind of thing, I think is, is probably the way it's done. Neat, neat. We should, the, um, I think, I mean, I like the fact that you've got a village, you know, a text village generator built in, you've got a text in generator built in, which are things that uh, commonly come up in my games that I need, I specifically need like a new random village or, or in, because there's presumably a lot of them in my campaign world. Um, so there's, I, I can see, I can see a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of thought being put into that. Who did the software development for that? It's, oh yeah, I should say that. <laughs> Shame on me. Um, yeah. it's a company called Brave Alice and, um, <clears throat> in the world at large, they're kind of better known as RPG stories because they did, a, their product was a VTT called RPG stories. And so everybody oh. latched onto the name of the product rather than the name of the company. Um, and so, but yeah, it says it's Brave Alice and RPG Stories, and they're the ones who are doing the coding um, for it. And uh, you know, they're I think they're they're sort of split between the UK and Greece. Um, but they were very excited when I came out with my you know list of the ancient Greek names, and they said, "Hey, let's put these into actual you know ancient Greek font, and we'll do they, they, you know because apparently you know Greek fonts apparently some of them don't work very well when they're transliterated. So uh, you know they they've <laughs> done that." And uh, yeah, anybody who's interested in, in uh, VTTs other than, you know, the really, really big ones that are out there should really, uh, especially if you like the Baldur's Gate three quarter look down uh, sort of approach, because that's the way that theirs is, is done. Um, and it's really cool. They've got some beautiful graphics in it. So it, that's called RPG Stories. Nice, nice. Of course, you know, Paul and I are both software guys and we have worked or longer times, respectively, uh, in the video game industry. And I think a lot of us, um, you know, actually get started, like back in the day, got started with coding specifically to implement our role-playing game tables. And, um, you know, way, 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 way back, Dragon Magazine actually had software code listings that you could type in for DM tools and stuff like that. Obviously, that went away at one point. But I, you know, I, I constantly still have a bone to pick with them about the fact that their basic program for generating ancestral families back in Dragon number forty-five or something like that had a typo in it. Mm -hmm. I typed the whole thing in there and couldn't make it work, and then discovered the next month that there was a typo. So, yeah. <laughs> that that's welcome to programming, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not uh, no, no digital delivery uh, available back then. Um. Well, you know, Paul's Paul was Paul's take on uh, you know because some people uh, want to use Chat GPT for um, for coding, and Paul's take is I can ask Chat GPT for a software function, and it will give me one, and it is wrong, and I will fix it, and then I have a software function. Um, so <laughs> as far as I can tell, it's about the same now as it was then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a very, very warm, warm spot, I think. And probably a lot of ours are in the same cases. They probably picked up coding because they 
had specific objectives in their role playing games that they wanted they wanted to deal with. Yeah. So maybe we'll cycle. Maybe we'll still cycle on some other stuff because I wanted it. So I was thinking about you know before we knew that Matt was even going to join us this week, we wanted to cycle on other um, strategies. You know, we love dice and we use it all the time. But we we both in our in our legacy have have a lot of times when we've used stuff other than dice, and it it is interesting if you think about it really thoughtfully. There's a lot like Matt was saying. There's a lot of pros and cons to stuff. Um, you know, so so dice have been around for thousands of years, but there's also a tool, and I wouldn't have known this if it wasn't for our friend John Peterson uh, doing a video. Is that it, it? There's a thing called a teetotum that I guess was used halfway commonly in gaming before polyhedral dice were were common. And I have a I have a photo of that on in the featured images, Paul. It's like the thing with a red dot. So it's basically like a spinner, right? People have made in the past to made these spinners, and this one here just happens to have six sides to it. But one of the advantages is there's no reason why you can't teetotum with any number of sides, right? So you're not even stuck with polyhedral stuff, and you're not dealing with the the, the math of platonic solids. Is you could make a a teetotum with any number of sides, and so for games, I think through the 50s, 60s, they would have teetotums with 12 sides or 10 sides for decimals or stuff like that. Um, and obviously, you'd spin it and it'd spin for a while and would fall on one side. And that's that's one way that people were doing random randomizations um, uh, b before polyhedral dice became common. I, I've never used one. I don't suppose you guys probably have never used one, have you? I've, I've never seen this before in my life. That's a, it's an interesting looking object. And it's right, funny too, I think, right. because and the it, image you have here is clearly of a like a standard six, you know, one through right, six. Right, right. It's kind of, I thought that was funny too. That looked like dice. So, uh, right. uh, yeah, I don't know, it, you know, a little bit like a dreidel, I guess, that are that our Jewish yeah. friends would be maybe more familiar with, I guess. Um, so, so there's so that that's that's one thing I thought was now. Here's something. Okay, let's talk about something that I actually have used. So when I got into D and D. Right, I got the uh, the Holmes basic set, basic box set was the first thing I ever got, circa nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine or something like that. <laughs> right, right, and it, and it was yeah. at this point, right, it was at this infamous, infamous point where TSR couldn't supply enough dice, and so, and Paul, I have the image of this with an orange dot on it. So my Holmes basic set, no dice, right? It comes with this card of chits, and I take a pair of scissors. And I take out I, I, these laminated chits and I have to get separate cups, right? And one of them has the one through 20 and one of them has the, the one through 12 and stuff like that. And, and when I'm designing my first and playing my first couple dungeons or characters, I'm taking these cups and I'm shaking them up and I'm not looking at it because I'm super honest. And I take out a, I take out a, a, a chit and that's my, that's my randomizer. So for some of us of a particular age, we got into D and D, and for the first I don't know months or year, we were we were randomizing with with chits like this. Raise your hand if you use chits when you started. Just me, <laughs> just you, just you, Dan. I've certainly used chits. So my first copy of the game was Moldve, which came with the with the lovely Dyson crayon. Well, so did a lot of the Holmes sets because the the Holmes set that I got had dice in it. So I'm not. Although I'm right in there with the chit generation, mine had dice. So the interesting so thing to me so about lucky. chit, 
Uh, the interesting thing to me about chits is that it opens a door for a slightly different form of randomization, which is similar to what um, I'm using uh, in Fearful Ends, if I can uh, segue into that a little bit. Um, yeah. in, in Fearful Ends, uh, which is my horror RPG on Kickstarter right now, there, there are cards that sub in for, essentially in for tables. Um, and and um, I've done this before in the past, I think, with other games where um, I'm trying to think of like, actually the first piece of software I ever wrote uh, was uh, for a game, like where I was wanting to extend the game was actually for Warhammer Quest. If anybody played that game back in the day, um, which had decks of cards for things like monsters or rooms in a dungeon, you were drawing cards. And then eventually, if you got high enough level, you you, you know the, the cards were no longer appropriate. So then you would have to flip to the book and instead use a dice and, and a table. But the interesting difference here, right, between cards and a table or chits and a table with dice is the ability to then remove the option, right? So, for example, if you have a deck of cards that have six different types of monster and you draw, you know, the giant rats, well, now the giant rats aren't in the next draw. It's not a possibility. And you could do that with chits as well, right? Like if you're drawing one through 20 and you pull out the 17 and you just don't put it back, now you've removed that as an option. And I found that really fascinating when I was writing software for this because I realized I had to offer both options. Do you want it to behave like a deck of cards where options get removed as they play? Or do you want to, you know, have the ability to repeat? Is that, is that something Matt, that, you really came up, uh, that you came across at all with Fantasy Adventure Builder? The, the desire to repeat mm. versus not repeat? Um... Yes, but only in a fairly boring sense. And it was that, you know, the, the issue of if you re-roll something, um, they, they, they did make it to where you couldn't re-roll it and then get the same exact result a second time because that would mm. be irritating. Um, yeah. But, yeah, uh, you right. know, but yeah, in terms of gaming, you know, the, I played an interesting war game once at, um, it might have been Chupacabra Con in Texas. I can't remember which con it was. It wasn't North Texas Con, but one of the others. And it was a it was a war game, and it was played with you know, fifty four millimeter Revolutionary War troops. And the way that the, the resolution mechanism for this was a deck of, of regular old playing cards, and there were results based on what your thing was. And then they went back, you know, and they and they got taken out. So as things happened, um, you could zero in more and more. There's at least more likelihood now that I'm going to get a good card because I've been getting really crappy cards yep. you know over and over yeah. everyone's been getting really crappy cards and you could make certain predictions about what was going to happen and it cycled yep. through the deck and then you didn't shuffle until they were all gone and that's an that's another you know it, it's the same thing you're talking about but it's a it's an additional aspect to the game is that by taking things out not only do you not repeat but you get a level of predictability or, or predictivity that can come yeah. from doing yeah. that as well I, I can't resist pointing out, right, mathematically, right, the formal term for this is replacement versus versus without replacement. Uh, the sampling with replacement versus sampling without replacement. Are you, The thing that you get, is it being replaced in the pool of possibilities or not? So that's the terminology I'm used to. I'm used to using for that. The, you know, through the through the 80s, uh, Tom Wom, these lovely little one off board games in all the time. And his prime mechanic was always chits that was, um, you know, it's analogous to cards, basically, for these same reasons, as you had a particular, you know, I'm thinking games like Awful Green Things from Outer Space, or Snit's Revenge, or King of the Tabletop, or 
you know, I don't have the guy made hundred hundred board games through the uh, through the eighties, and so you'd have a weapons deck, right? A weapons cup of chips and awful green things, and there's one really neat weapon that has ranged and area effects, and there's other weapons that kind of suck and they're hard to get, and they only work against one monster, and you're only going to get you know, a one or two or the effects, right? There's there's one single chip when you randomize what the effect is this game. There's one single chip that does the maximum damage. And there's several chips that are kind of a whole bunch of chips that are actually no effects or, ne- or negative for you. Um, and uh, the... Um, uh, there's a, there's a, there's like a hunting, there's a, there's a hunting trapping game, elephant hunt actually, right? And there's one single mad mom chit, right? That's a one player is going to run into the mad mom figure, probably have some of their hunters get killed, but if they don't, they're worth a whole lot. So that, so it is an interesting like pool of things in the world that you're kind of conjuring and there's some special stuff that you're only going to run into once and not a whole bunch of times. And that is a really interesting benefit to cards or chits like that. It's, um, um, sorry, <laughs> I lost track of what I was going to say there, Dan. There's a, there's a board game that plays with this that I find really fascinating to consider as well. And it, and it kind of, I think this concept sometimes screws with people's sense of randomness, right? Like I think as Matt was talking about with the, with the software, that the reroll button intentionally removes the option that you placed because people will, if you click it and got the same result, you'd be like, oh, this is broken, right? No, people tend yeah. to not step back and go, that is actually a possible random sequence, right? Yeah. Like, people uh, don't understand you know, randomization. Don't, people don't understand don't random don't numbers. Right. People, learn your random numbers. Get with the, get with the program, people. <laughs> it's a plausible entry. So I don't know if, you've, if either of you have ever played this board game. There's a, there's a cooperative board game called Forbidden Islands, which has a deck of cards that are all the squares in the in the map. It's an island that's slowly sinking. And as you're flipping cards over, that piece of the island starts to sink. And the interesting thing is there's a mechanic in there where um, you have to reshuffle that deck, but you specifically don't reshuffle the entire deck, just the discard. So you take just the discard, reshuffle it, and put it back on top so that your your new set of randomization is just a subset of the randomization selections you've already seen. So it kind of assures that that parts of the island that started to sink before will continue to sink. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a fascinating thing. I think that just yeah. oh, nice, nice. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's one, a clever one way. Issue, you know, that, Ren. One one thing that you run into, and and I, I've been doing this because I had some people ask for a weather table, and I haven't done a weather table yet. But so here's the thing for sandboxes and for weather is the issue of what is it right now. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in a particular kind of terrain uh, and it's plains, then, you know, there's a certain set of things that it might run into. And you're going to have, you know, more plain is probably going to be your most likely thing. But you have to structure your table, you know, in that way. And same with weather. Is it raining right now? It'll continue raining. And so that's uh, mm-hmm. sort of a different type of table than you get where the ones where it doesn't matter where it doesn't matter what your start condition is. Um, yeah. Uh, is is the ones where you do actually need to know the start condition, and so you know I'm not sure that's. Uh, I mean, it's 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 related. Dan probably formally knows exactly what it is, how it is that this relates to the thing we were just talking about. I do not formally know, but I've got a feeling that this is a relevant comment that I'm making right now. So yeah, yeah. 
For sure. We we did an we did a whole episode, Matt, on weather. I think a couple months ago, if, okay. I'm, if I'm if I recall correctly, and it's a surprisingly prickly issue. It has been literally been on my mind my whole life ever since you had the weather in the world of Greyhawk. I think in Dragon Number Sixty Eight, which you know mm-hmm. uh, enticed me, but it's so complicated, and the issue is the issue can become so complicated. It's really it's really a, a dilemma of like how you make a random system that that satisfies people. Honestly, it's really hard. Um, yeah, so the I, times I, I, the I, times that it's been the times that it's been relevant to me in games. Usually, what I do is I, I roll a die, and it, it's just to find out is it going to change or not, and then I make up whatever it is that it changes to. But you know, it's a huge leap from is it going to change or not to a table where it tells you it's going to change and this is what it is going to change into. And it's even more complicated with sandboxing a, a random map in terrain. Yep. Yeah. I think okay, this, on is, that though, point, this does point out, hang on, I'm going to jump in here, Dan. This does point out yep, kind of like yep. the interesting direction of moving randomization from dice to software, because I feel like one of the nice yep. things about software, which I'm sure Matt, that you discovered in using it, is that it allows for a much deeper level of complexity without encumbering the user with, with yeah. understanding and dealing with that complexity. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I got yeah, to jump in here. On yeah. hard to design the it's hard to design I, I, I the apologize. Table. I'm gonna, it's really easy. Yeah. 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 I'm going to sure. jump in here on the point of, of random terrain because there's a specific, there's a specific really interesting example of non-dice generation at the outset of D&D. And um, that, that for, it took me decades to understand what was happening here. Boy, Paul, you are anticipating. <laughs> You're so good. You're so good. Gotcha. So this is like page page two out of chainmail, right? This is this is page two out of chainmail with the random. And I dig into maths, you know, combat a lot, and I have my own set of rules book of war that we usually run streams on Thursday nights for. So if if you dig into chainmail, and I I tried with book of war, I tried to replicate the probability for terrain popping up basically to match this table here in chainmail as a matter of fact so what it what it says here is for terrain selection often it's difficult to devise new terrain we have found the following system to be useful and what it says is on a number of three by five index cards draw the following and your, your cards have two rivers and one marsh and one pond etc cetera, etc cetera, and then four with hills and at the bottom eight blanks and basically, each opponent draws four times back and forth, and you pick a terrain, you place it on on the uh, the table. So, uh, not dice, right? Which seems unusual for Gygaxian mind frame, uh, you know, D and D type gaming. And and I uh, index cards. So you have a, you have a set of cards to pick terrain. And I to begin with, I actually was using the cards as the terrain. Like I read this very curt description and I would have a three by five piece of terrain, put it on the table. And it's like, well, it's literally nothing. It's like, like three figures will cover that. That can't be right. Um, and for <laughs> quite some time, I was like, why, why in this particular place of all places does, is Gygax recommending cards instead of dice? And very helpfully, uh, literally decades went by um, you know, I do use dice in Book of War and um, to not have, you know, not have a, a deck of cards necessary. Uh, and very helpfully, someone on the OD&D 74 forums, and I, I wish I could remember their name, pointed out, yeah, you're not, the index cards aren't the terrain. They're just selecting it. You have to look two pages in advance when you have these like two foot by two foot, uh, you know, 
terrain that you've probably made. The point of the cards is that so you'd never generate more terrain than you actually have pieces for, right? So the cards are aligned with the actual physical pieces that you have stored in your terrain library. And you'll never, you'll never, you know, generate more woods than you actually physically own with this method. And that actually is a problem that I run into sometimes with Book of War with my, with my dice is, is mm. occasionally we'll roll marsh, marsh, marsh. And I have to go, I don't have that much marsh. What do I do now? Um, and I, I totally overlooked that. And the cards technique, uh, you know, running without replacement matched to your actual physical physical terrain solves that problem of of the, the terrain that you have for your physical war game. And I'm so embarrassed that it took me so long and someone had to point that out. But that actually is the solution to that, for me, long-time mystery. Nice, nice. Basically, I don't know if anybody else ever had trouble was... with that, but that was me. It was, it was um, you know, the equivalent of the modern day, you know, PDF full of cards for a custom deck, right? That's, that's, this, this was your DIY method of making a deck of cards was get out your index cards. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. exactly. And of course, a lot of people, right, you have the, um, you know, the deck of many things, right, obviously, that originally was a regular standard playing card deck. You grab a standard playing card deck, shuffle it. And if you get a king of hearts, then that's the, I don't know, the death token or something like that. And that's one of, I don't know how much money Wizards has made producing different versions of custom deck of many things these days. But it's like one of their, it seems to be one of their most popular pieces of IP. And I think they're, I think they're pushing a product right now. I think I got a, I think I got a D&D &D Beyond email like three days ago of like, you like the deck of many things. Yeah, here, we got cards for you, Kapal. <laughs> Uh, we have, we have, it's we more have popular than the, it's more yeah. popular than the deck of one thing, so <laughs> which is just a saber die effect, yeah. Um, with, with just 15 minutes left in the show, I want to I want to come back to the fantasy adventure builder, Matt. Um, I, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the the um at the Kickstarter page right now, clearly, you're you're well past your goal. Uh, you got a day left, uh, so it's clear it's, it's going to come out. I saw a question float by earlier uh, in our chat. Somebody was wondering, you know, when when do we get our greedy mitts on this software once once the Kickstarter ends? But I'd like to expand that question a little bit. Maybe you can maybe you can address that. But also, I'm curious, like, and then what? What is the future of Fantasy Adventure Builder once it does publish? Okay, so the, the the answer to the first question about when you get it is almost right away. The the, the coding's already been done. Um, you know, Paul, you're, you're looking at a demo version, but <clears throat> you can tell that demo version covers the whole thing pretty much at this point. Um, it looks pretty complete you know, we, to me. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. I mean, we, we built them out separately because at the beginning there was a bunch of stuff that was, you know, partially done in the final version, but, you know, there was, but, you know, the, so that was left out in the demo, but now they've basically converged to the point where the, the demo, uh, you know, that you're getting on Steam is, 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 is virtually the final product. Um, so all that happens is we, um, uh, you know, we got to wait for the funds to come in um, and we've got to send out the survey to people. But, you know, once those two things are done, um, we're going to send it out right away. So, I mean, the earliest that it could happen if there's absolutely zero glitches in the process might be mid-November. Um, and, uh, you know, probably it'll be sometime in early December that we get it out, assuming that there's not, you know, some hitch somewhere. And there's, there usually is. 
something that you you know didn't predict that creates a difficulty you know um yep. but it'll be it'll be fulfilled um you know lightning fast for for a software uh kickstarter um in terms of what comes next um we've got uh, you know plans and ideas but not 100 percent sure exactly what's going to go on we do know that you know there are going to be more tables that are part of the premium dlc um that go out the uh, the overall plan for this was that when we started this project the initial idea was we're going to generate something that will design you a dungeon with one click of the mouse um and we discovered that if you are building toward that when you do that you whatever it is you start with the next thing it goes to is a smaller universe of possibilities because you're going to narrow down the possibilities based on the fact that you know your initial month you know say that you start with the um uh, with whether it's a dungeon or not um you're you know the the description of the of the dungeon you're going to leave out all of the stuff that would be right for a vehicle or that would be right for a woodland adventure and so you're continually narrowing the universe of possibilities as you move toward the final result output from the thing that doesn't match well at all with a creative tool um which is where you want to keep throwing in odd ideas for somebody to integrate into the thing and so we didn't predict at the outset that a tool cannot do both of those two things it cannot both generate a dungeon at one click and yet still function as a creative tool along the way and so we decided that we were going to build the creative tool approach first even though i think there's a huge number of people who would like to see a one-click dungeon generator since we had since we already had the tome of adventure design to work with it was a much smaller project to do the creative tool rather than all of the tables and things that would be required for because as dan i think you mentioned during the thing tomo adventure design really focuses on the hard parts there's no real table in there um for here is a boring detail that requires no creativity but that has to be in there every single time and um you know so um you know like the 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 color of a door um, is just not something that you're going to put into a book of tables, but it's really easy to put into, into an app, talking again about the way that apps work differently yep. from books. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was the kind of thing that you know, we'll, we'll go into. So one possible plan, um, <clears throat> and we'll probably see you know, how well the sales do after the Kickstarter and you know, what, the, what kind of tables have, what's the participation, and if, if, the, if the project appears to be you know, healthy and thriving after the Kickstarter, then we'll probably move on to that next step of doing something that's, uh, you know, designed for a, a one-click dungeon. Um, or it might be, you know, that people simply develop that for the table designer, you know, other people than me do that. And so there, you know, will we'll be that as well because they'll have all of the tables from uh, for Tome of Adventureland to start with, um, which is a big head start. Um, so, so those are sort of the, the, the plans that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're done with the Kickstarter. We're going to fulfill, we'll fulfill it quickly. Then we're going to wait and see what people do with it. And we'll get the feedback from people about, you know, this would be, this is sort of the direction we'd want it to go. This is the direction we'd want it to go. The, you know, we, we sort of, you know, jumped into, uh, you know, we're jumped, jumped into the deep end, so to speak. And now we're going to sort of see what it looks like in there, evaluate, and then 
move on to whatever the next step is that makes sense for the fans. Because if it turns out that, you know, uh, that what people really want is super high functionality on the table designer, and they're not all that terribly interested in the one-click dungeon concept, then we'll move in the direction of, you know, making the, the table designer tool better. So we don't really know where it's going to go because there's the, that middle step of, you know, stop, look around, get feedback, mm-hmm. and then move on from that's 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 so incredibly wise. Um, that, mm-hmm. that definitely. Um, I feel like right. that's a thing I see. Uh, I saw in live operations of software a lot. Frankly, is this notion that yes, there's what you designed your software to do, but then there's also what how, how do people actually use your software? And and right. once the software is out there and live, it's much more interesting. What how are they actually using it than what did you intend for it to do? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that should speak to anyone who's ever DM'd a game. Right? There's there's, you know, the plots of, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, things that you expected your players to do. And then they decide that this random NPC that you made up on the spot at the tavern is way more interesting. And they're going to spend the whole time talking to that person. I feel like Jean-Paul Sartre is going to start coming up in every episode nowadays. Let's see if this, <laughs> this happens. This point happens over and over again. Uh, Matt, Matt, let me ask this. So the so coming from the Tome of Adventure design, right? So this this the fantasy adventure builder is obviously meant to support um, uh, the the DM, right? Doing advanced prep work to design before the game actually starts. And for me, that's the most obvious killer app for wanting to find something more efficient than dice. You're in a situation where you're gonna have to make a ton of rolls and you have tons of tables and pages and you have to make, the DM has to make roll after roll after roll after roll for possibly a bunch of stuff, maybe like monsters, maybe like treasure um, type stuff. So it seems like the obvious first thing to make the the DM more efficient and not have to roll the dice a thousand times, which honestly, occasionally I actually have been in that situation. Do you expect, to make uh, player-facing tools? Like, do you expect when you run games, some players like to have an app to run their character nowadays or, you know, do table-based mechanics? Would you foresee a step in the future where you start providing live tools for players while the game runs? Or would you expect to more focus on the DM advanced prep stuff? Uh, I think we're probably going to keep focusing on the the DM advanced prep stuff, where I think that we're going to see more stuff is that I think people will probably share encounter tables. Um, and those, and, and this will run on a tablet, or you may need to, you need to get the key for the tablet, but you get that along with the one for Steam and download code. So I think there will be a lot more things that are designed for immediate use at the table that are being run through the My Generators thing, which is how you use something that you created in, my, in the Table Designer. Um, so I, I think there will be a lot more table tools, um, probably for the GM, um, the player-facing tools. And I think that, you know, another possible thing that will go here is solo adventuring. Um, the, the solo adventuring, this is probably something that's a good app. But for tracking most of the, the player information, player information, first of all, is almost always um, system-specific rather than system-neutral. So it's going to have to be done for a particular game. Yeah. And it yep. will, and it's often not so much table based as it's designed for tracking. I had somebody ask, you know, will this allow me to, you know, track the status of a, a character? Blah blah. And the answer was no. Totally, that's a totally different product. That's not what this one does. Um, so it's a different, it's a different kind of tracking. So my guess is that no, there probably won't be a lot of of, of yep. player facing stuff. But what I do expect to see 
um, is probably some solo adventurer player facing stuff and probably a lot of um, DM at the table tools where I can roll something. And again, it's the advantage of an app rather than a book. Um, if I've got a good index of what my uh, tables are, so that because everything about the table is speed, it's going to put my hand on it right now. Um, and if it takes even too many seconds, it may not be useful for you and you're better making something up. But, you know, I can I can see that, you know, on the tablet, somebody can arrange, you know, here is my encounter table for the Wildwood, for the city, for the, you know, this and such, for the this and such, for this and such, to where all you have to do is hit it and then you've rolled your encounter. That lets you, you know, reuse tables, um, which is, you know, reuse is a big issue. Um, and so that I do think that there will be, but I, I'm not seeing a lot of player facing stuff. But again, law of unintended consequences, I'm not making any real predictions about what people are going to do with this because I know it's going to surprise me. Great. Pretty great. Paul, so we before we get just done, just out of time. I, nope, nope. <laughs> I, 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 I just want to, I need, I need this in the, if we do a, a, an episode yeah. of Diceless Devices, I got to see this. Can you just flip through the two slides that I have on the dragon bone from 1982? So mm -hmm. we, so I remember seeing like, these in the back of Dragon, Dragon Magazine. Dragon Magazine, 1982. I'm like, you don't need dice. You can get this this brand new, sophisticated digital wand where you 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 set it and you just click one button and it'll roll any die that you want, right? And I kind of I kind of wanted this is obviously before you know cell phones or other devices. You needed a specific hardware device in order to replace your dice with this digital thing. And they had ads in Dragon like 82, 83 for this. I kind of wanted it. I was very, I was very like, I, I really kind of had an itch to get that. I never got that. So if anybody knows where there's a used, a used workable dragon bone, frankly, I would like to see that. But how far we have come, right? How far we have come that you'd have to, you'd have to order that by distance and you're still doing the randomization and looking up on tables. And now we have, you know, a product like Matt Finch's Fantasy Adventure Builder that does the, the, does the whole job for you. Amazing. Yeah, fantastic. So we are, we are out of, officially out of time now. Um, we're getting, we're getting the, uh, the, the, the old hook here to pull Dan off of the, off the uh, stage. <laughs> yeah. uh, Matt, I wanted, I wanted to throw it back to you though real quick. Is there, is there anything uh, that we haven't covered about Fantasy Adventure Builder that you want to make sure that we get out there? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered it. Great. great. Uh, Dan, any final thoughts on diceless uh, devices? I think it can really help a DM, particularly for advanced prep, right? When you are in a situation where you have to make, you know, scores and scores of, of, of die rolls, um, having these mechanics that, um, you know, either make interesting distributions in your 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 world uh with chits or cards in your fearful ends paul that make you know new stuff right make new stuff more likely to happen as the game progresses i think is very smart and i like you know i i don't like having digital stuff while the game is being run myself but having having an app to manage the design stuff uh, in advance, I think makes all a ton of sense, and I'm I'm really glad that uh, that Matt thought of this for uh, for Math Myth Mirror Games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, viewers, if you're if you're interested uh, and you're watching this video in time, those links are in the description of the YouTube video right here. Go check out the Fantasy Adventure Builder on Kickstarter. Uh, you got it. You got a day left. Get your get your pledge in. Get on get on board before it uh, runs out. Uh, also, there will be links uh, to my own Kickstarter for Fearful Ends, a horror RPG, 
that is uh, set to run through to the end of Halloween. Um, and leave One us week. some thoughts. One week. Yeah, yeah. Leave us some thoughts uh, in the comments section if you know other use cases of diceless devices that we haven't covered that are interesting. People using strange mechanics or other uh, variations of how to generate random numbers or how to include randomness in the game without dice. Be interested to hear, and maybe Definitely. that'll spin up a new conversation for us down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, remember, you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok and places like that. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So look for this there to get updates on upcoming shows. And the next time that Matt Finch join us, joins us. If you prefer to listen to us in audio-only podcast format, you can get those podcasts at our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through all the various podcast carriers, such as Spotify and iTunes and Stitcher and Pocket Cast, all kinds of places. If you are listening to the show right now on one of those third-party carriers, please take a moment, if possible, to rate and review our show. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, we really have to thank our patrons every week who support the Wandering DMs show here. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And just like Paul said at the top of the show, every single tier gets you access to our Discord server where the conversation continues throughout the week 24-7. We would love to see you there if you're new. Uh, and in about 10 minutes, we'll be there for continued uh, video after chat with our patrons. And today again, uh, Matt will get to join us. So I, I have more questions for Matt myself. So I'm so glad he'll be joining us on our, uh, our Discord uh, video chat. Um, really appreciate your time today, Matt. Uh-oh, I think we maybe lost Matt. Oh, okay, all right. Matt might be taking his break before he jumps on our Discord server, which is great. I that, That's that's very smart because he, he gives us a lot of energy all the time. Uh, don't forget to back Matt's uh, uh, Fantasy Adventure Builder Kickstarter. You have one day left for that. Uh, go back Paul's uh, Fearful Ends. You have one week left for that. Again, we have links on the YouTube description. And uh, we're gonna, we better jump over to the Discord server because I think Matt's already there. So don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.